0: Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of Pod617.com The Boston Podcast Network
1: Are you ready?
0: From the Pod617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod617 The Boston Podcast Network This is our Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers and thieves. Welcome to the Boston podcast. It's the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. And we have uh, one such voice today. She's a lawyer. Don't hold that against her. I'm a lawyer too, by the way. At least I used to be, or something. There are a lot of us recovering lawyers out there, lawyers that have uh, discovered ways to do fun things. And I would suggest that this person has. So please say hello to my guest. She is a life sciences attorney, primarily patent law, that cool intellectual property stuff. She's a, she's a frequent speaker. She's a professor at Cornell Law School. She's wicked smart. Her name is Joanna Brower. Welcome to the show. Yes, yes. Now, let's start at the beginning. Did I pronounce your name correctly?
1: Almost. It's Brocker oh. with a K.
0: You know what? I wasn't really that close at all, but you're very kind. So thank you. So, Joanna, you're clearly a very busy person. How has your pandemic been, first of all? How has the past, you know, 10 to 12 months been for you? It hasn't
1: been too bad overall. I mean, everyone's living a new life right now. Everyone's had to adjust. For the most part, my business has been virtual anyway. So I work with a group of attorneys who are all, you know, working from their homes even before this started. So from a business perspective, it really hasn't affected us too much. I teach at Cornell, like you mentioned. That was a big change. I taught this semester from September through December, and it was all virtual this year, so that was a new experience trying to figure out how to teach a very interactive class on Zoom, mm-hmm. and it went a lot better than I I hoped for and I expected, so it was actually a good experience with that.
0: <clears throat> is- I haven't
1: had a chance to travel, because I used to travel quite a bit to either speak at conferences or other things, and definitely have not been traveling at all, so...
0: Yeah, I saw a meme yesterday that said, I can't wait to walk down the aisle and hear those words that I wish I could hear right now. And those words are, this is your captain speaking, because we haven't heard that (laughs) in forever. And I don't travel that much, but I enjoy traveling. I'm one of the people that I, I like to stay at a hotel for a couple nights to get away. And I can't even remember what that's like. Let me ask you about your students on Zoom because my son on Thursday goes to campus for the first time. He did his first semester at the UMass Honors College virtually. He actually does get to go to college with uh, now to campus with a bunch of restrictions and stuff. But how would you say, how does it seem that your students held up through that virtual semester?
1: You know, I think they held up. You know, my class is limited to 16 students and that's what we had because it's a seminar class. And I got to chat with the students offline or you know, outside of the class period, and we talked about their final projects, which was a paper. And during those discussions, we kind of talked about also how they feel the semester is going. And I think towards the end of the semester, they were definitely getting tired of having to participate in all of these law school classes online. They would much rather be in a in a classroom setting with their fellow classmates and be able to talk to their professors one-on-one instead of over a a computer. So I do think they were getting tired of it. And I know my kids are getting tired of always being on a computer, but I I think they're managing as best as anyone can be right now.
0: Cornell is way the hell up in, I don't even know, New York. I forget. What town town is Cornell in? It's in Ithaca. It's in Ithaca. Okay. I should have remembered that. And that, you know, they, they should just quarantine the whole town of Ithaca. I mean, it's way up there anyways. I've been there a couple times. I went to Penn, which is like just kind of Cornell's rival. Yeah, I heard what you said, Joanna. Yeah, okay. That Penn's okay. Not quite Cornell. So, But t- typically, you would be teaching there in person? So I know you're a Boston-based lawyer, so... That, that's quite I a... was
1: a Boston-based lawyer. Now I'm actually in Rochester, New York.
0: Okay. So Cornell would...
1: is a short hour and 40-minute drive for me.
0: Oh, well, then I stand corrected. I was looking at your LinkedIn page and I was misled. Come on, LinkedIn, get your act together. So tell me, well, let me ask you, what's the name of the course that you teach there?
1: I teach a course called Intellectual Property and Health Technologies. It's actually a course that I came up with and I taught at the Harvard School of Public Health for about six years. Um, And then then Cornell offered me a position at the law school.
0: So what kind of stuff is that? So I I know that the world of intellectual property is particularly hot and ever-changing in the world of bio and the world of tech because there are all these new devices and stuff like that. Do you have an engineering background or no, just typical kind of legal background?
1: So my background is actually in immunology and microbiology, and then I also have a master's in public health where I studied epidemiology. So before I went to law school, I wanted to be a doctor of infectious diseases, which, you know, is kind of ironic given today's climate. But so my background is primarily in the area of immunology.
0: So why does this excite you?
1: Patents. Yeah. Um, well, patents are very exciting. Like you said, it's a it's never changing field. It's you're constantly dealing with something different. I remember when I started and I started as an attorney at a firm, big firm in Boston. And my, the partner that I worked with, he told me that my job is, is always going to be interesting because no matter what, you're either gonna have the courts trying to change the law on you. You're gonna have the USPTO throwing out new guidances. You're gonna have Congress coming up with new laws and regulations. So no matter what you do now, in a couple of years, that could completely change. And especially in the area of biotech and pharma law, I mean, we've been seeing over the last couple of years, every time a case goes to the Supreme Court it seems to rule against you know, some known rule that's been in place for a while. So all of a sudden, you have all of these patent attorneys trying to scramble and trying to figure out how to help their clients navigate this new climate and trying to figure out not only how to fix those problems that this new law created for them, but also how to better position clients for with new patents going forward. So that's been kind of the exciting part as well as the challenges over the last decade or so in the patent space.
0: So were you following this whole thing with the vaccine a little closer because it's a little closer to, to home for you? Or no, tell me that tell me about that.
1: So sure, I've been following it actually from a couple of different viewpoints. From one viewpoint, the class that I I teach at Cornell and I taught at Harvard, we do actually have a segment in that class that focuses on international patent law. So in international patent law, we get into topics such as compulsory licensing, which was a, a topic that came up especially earlier on in this pandemic. And the premise of that topic is that countries would be able to ignore a patent and try to manufacture that drug product or medical device, whatever it may be, without the permission of the patent holder. And the idea here is that the country would allow a manufacturer within that country to do it, to manufacture that drug and to supply their population with that drug in order to alleviate you know, the pandemic in this case. So it's an interesting topic. It's a topic that my students have always been interested in the class because it you know, comes it comes up, and it's something that I think a lot of people who worry about, you know, healthcare access, especially from the perspective that patented products are more expensive than non-patented products. So they want to be able to supply drugs to um, populations that may not be able to afford them. And now, all of a sudden, this came up in a real life context and some countries, Israel is one of them, that issued a compulsory license way early in the beginning of this pandemic, and and it became a discussion point of, you know, all of these drugs that potentially can help alleviate the COVID disease. Will countries be issuing compulsory licenses and ignoring the patents on it? I think right now, as we're seeing um, companies develop vaccines for the coronavirus. We're seeing less of a discussion on compulsory licensing, but it's still there. And it presents a lot of interesting issues, certainly for both patent holders, as well as the countries trying to manufacture products. So from that perspective, you know this is something I've been writing about for the last couple of years. It's something I wrote about in my book. I've taught on it. And now I get to see the real life implications that this might have. Another interesting perspective right now is just, I do work with vaccine companies. I work with companies also developing antibodies. I work with companies developing drugs. So I get to talk to all of these interesting companies and the people working for them and the scientists behind all of these, these technologies and just learning from them kind of what they're seeing out there with this disease and what they're thinking about when it comes to developing a product.
0: Well, then when do I get my vaccine? I need to know. You sound like- I cannot answer that. I don't
1: even know when I'm getting (laughs) mine.
0: Well, I I mean, from what you know, I guess you wouldn't necessarily know about the efficacy of the rollout of this thing, but did the way that the US handled the vaccine situation and the way it's developed- Did anything surprise you about it, knowing from the background that you have?
1: Well, in terms of, I was surprised actually how quickly companies were able to come out with a vaccine. And I thought that was very impressive. I have, I do work with companies in the space, and I know what it takes to get through the clinical trials and how long it takes to enroll people in clinical trials and kind of why clinical trials take so long. And I think this from a very positive perspective, I think we saw a situation here where scientists from all over the world kind of came together to share information that would not normally be shared so easily with other diseases in other circumstances. So all the information kind of got pulled quickly together and companies were able to use that information very quickly to put together vaccines. And then in terms of enrolling clinical trials, you're enrolling tens of thousands of people. Normally that can take up to a couple of years just to enroll those people, but people have been volunteering left and right in order to be part of all these clinical trials. So I think what surprised me in a good way is just how quickly the world and the industries and people came together to try to find a solution for this problem.
0: And thank goodness, because we can use some good news in in this story. So- who was the, you'll forgive me, it's slipping my mind. I bet you'll remember. Who was the guy? Oh, Martin Shkreli. Is that his name? That horrible? Yes,
1: yes. The, so um,
0: so uh, was that boy
1: of pharma, right?
0: Yeah, right. And so he he famously sort of, my words, not uh patent lawyers' words, but cornered the market on this one drug that was essential to people who needed it and then jacked the price way up. Was, was that a patent issue? Did he control the patent to that drug? No, it wasn't. What was it?
1: No, that product was completely off patent. Any company could have manufactured that product if they wanted to. It just happened to be that there was only one company at that time manufacturing that product. So Mm -hmm. when Martin's company bought it, they were pretty much, they had the market on it. They could have, and they did. They increased the price overnight on it, faced a lot of criticism in doing so. But nothing was stopping other companies from entering that market and also trying to provide product there.
0: Sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover, but with that guy, you could. You just looked in his eyes and you knew he was such a weasel. Ugh, shame on you, Martin. Anyway, I know that the world of, of patent is, you, you can, it, it stretches as far as one's imagination does, right? Because people will come up with patent. And I know that you deal mainly in pharma, bio, et cetera, but have you ever gotten unusual requests for patents? At very least, you must get questions at, well, we used to go to parties, cocktail parties and stuff. Back when we used to do that, you must've gotten a lot of unusual questions about, Hey, can I patent this? Can I patent that? Anything like that?
1: Sure. I mean, I've gotten lots of strange requests about what can and what cannot be patented. Actually, the first day of my class, whenever I teach it, I always put up a few crazy patents up there that probably should never have been issued. One great example is a patent that involves you taking a laser pointer and moving it around and getting a catch to follow that
0: laser. Right, right.
1: Don't know how, but somehow, you know, that person managed to get a patent on that concept, mm-hmm. even though it's probably well-known concept that everyone uses. And yeah. um, that patent, I think, has been unenforceable. But it's just an example of a crazy patent that probably should never have been issued in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I also remember getting some crazy requests about, can you patent like a double layer cookie or something like that (laughs) so certainly you get some things
0: there were battles there were battles back in the day and maybe still uh, over patents held by razor companies so like Gillette and whatever the other companies are that were battling I remember when Gillette uh, fancied themselves a pioneer and they were when I mean being a man who shaves I, I remember when we used to have one blade and that was it and then they came up with the the Double blade, the Mach two, or the and then the Mach three. And I remember I used to work for Lawyers Weekly in Boston. And I wrote a column about this. There was a rival company that came out with the blade with that had four blades on it, and Gillette sued them. And I remember it was it was almost as if, the, from a layperson's point of view, the logic was like. Well, we did one, two and three. So you knew we were going to do four. So you're not allowed to do four blades. <laughs> but, but I imagine that that, you know, competition is constantly wrapped up in everything that you do. You must represent a lot of companies who are racing to get to that next big thing
1: constantly and I always recommend to my clients to do periodic landscape searches that's what they're called and it gives you an overview of what's out there in the market who the players are what they're trying to develop so that you can always try to stay one step ahead of them and kind of with your Gillette example there with the razor blades with a patent you can start with a patent that has one razor. That's kind of your starting point. And then you want to think about ways to expand and make that razor better. So you would start adding blades to it. And you can even start adding different features like that the razor will swivel around and you know hug the contours of your face a little bit better. So you're always trying to think about these improvements and each one of these improvements if done correctly you can get a patent on it and with that way you can start expanding the time frame of your patent so a normal patent is given to you for 20 years if you keep filing these additional patents and expanding the scope and you know coming up with new concepts you can start pushing that time frame out by a couple of years so that's why you start seeing companies have what is perceived to be a prolonged mon- monopoly on the market but it just has to do with this expansion of your patent rights
0: I had a lot of good ideas for patents in the past and then I google it and I've, I've discovered that it, it already exists which is, which is always disappointing but here's one that I think is, is very simple but not I don't know that anyone's come up with it yet and that is in the world of zoom now zoom should be on all of our televisions like when you, if you go and buy a TV it's got Netflix on it it's got the smart technology it's you can it's usually got technology where you can share your screen. Like if you're on your phone, you hit a button and all of a sudden it's on your TV. They should all come with camp. But see, I bet you I can't patent that, right? Because it's first of all, somebody's probably already on it or is it and I, and I, I couldn't use Zoom. I have to have my own video. Well, I don't know. The, the idea is not fully formed, Joanna, but, you know, I'll give you a call as soon as it is.
1: Sounds good. <laughs>
0: OK, so, Johanna, tell people the best way to get in touch with you if they have questions about patents and might need the your services?
1: So the best way is probably just through my email, which is jbrocker at biopharmalaw.com. I also have a website, www.biopharmalaw.com. Of course, I can hand out my phone number if people sure. wish. It's 617-699-2931. So,
0: so you still got the Boston phone number.
1: I refuse to give it up. <laughs>
0: Good for you. That's uh, good on you. Well, here at pod 617, we celebrate those precious uh, numerals 617. And uh, it was I'm old enough to remember where the whole state of Massachusetts was 617. And one day I became 781. And it was a crush. It was a crushing day. Yeah, it was a a crushing day. You've also uh, written two books, one of them called billion dollar patents. I take it we can find those books anywhere good books are sold Amazon and such.
1: On Amazon, so Billion Dollar Patents. I actually, that was my first experience in self-publishing. So my previous book, which is Intellectual Property and Health Technologies, I wrote that one based on the curriculum I teach. I taught at Harvard and now Cornell. And then I came up with a more, a book that can be picked up by non-legal people. So someone who is just this a C-level executive or an aspiring entrepreneur or, or someone who doesn't necessarily have a legal background and doesn't want to go into the nuances of all the case law. So I came up with that book and then I decided to self-publish it because I figured I can. it's going to be easier to self-publish than going through a traditional publisher like I did the first time around.
0: So that book, what it chronicles patents that have led to... Riches for those that created them, or tell me a little bit more about what you find in the book.
1: So that book actually gives you kind of the strategy for developing these patents that could be billion dollar patents and help you keep your product on the market longer, despite your competitors out there. So I break this book up into three different sections. The first section outlines how you go about finding a patentable idea. Whether it is that you're creating a brand new concept, like a brand new vaccine, or you're taking an existing drug and repurposing it for a new indication, such as, you know, treating coronavirus. So we go through those steps, and those are usually the first steps I start with whenever I talk to my clients who are interested in filing patents. Like, you have to come up with a concept that you want to first file on. And then the second step goes through the process of actually getting that patent and also expanding that patent to make it valuable for you. And by expanding it, I mean, you're expanding, um, you're building upon the concepts, kind of what we talked about with your razor example. So you're first starting with one drug, one indication, then you wanna go into like the methods of making that drug, methods of treating other indications, dosing formulations. So you're just building the concepts behind that one drug. And also, you get into strategies for expanding your patent term, either by just through the U.S. Patent Office, because they took too long to grant your patent, so there are mechanisms for getting some of that delay back. And then there are some other clever mechanisms that competitors have used to try to keep their product on the market and trying to keep competitors at bay. Some of those cross over into the antitrust space, and a lot of people are not happy with a lot of those strategies. Some of them are very viable strategies that companies should consider. And then finally, I go into how to protect those patents. So over the last couple of years, since the American Invents Act came out in 2011, there's been mechanisms that have made it easier for companies to challenge patents. So a lot of patents that you see getting granted end up being challenged in either a traditional lit. Uh, litigation or through the U.S. Patent Office's mechanisms, which are called the IPR proceedings, regardless of which way a competitor may challenge your patent, there's a real risk there that you may lose your patent. So we want to kind of keep thinking about those patents and keeping them, keep giving them the best chance of, of succeeding. Even if some claims may be rejected by a court of law, you still want to have other claims upheld. And so this book kind of goes through those strategies of what helps you set up your patent for success down the road.
0: The book, once again, is Billion Dollar Patent, Strategies for Finding Opportunities, Generating Value and Protecting Your Inventions. Go to Amazon and you can get it on Kindle. You can get it in paperback. If I buy the book, will you autograph it for me, Joanna?
1: I'm more than happy to send you an autographed version of the book.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I was going to pay for it, but now I'm even more excited about it. You know, if you have time, I mean, I'm interested in this stuff and who isn't really, everyone's got an idea. And so you need to go to a real patent lawyer and not someone who tells you that they have belief in your new upside down toaster idea. I don't know what that would be. It was the first thing I thought of anyway, in a moment we're, and once again, by the way, you can contact Jo Johanna at, uh, well, her website, biopharmalaw.com and, Johanna, Joe. sorry, it's Joanna, typical spelling. dot Brower, that is spelled B R O U G H E R. Right? Okay. And sorry, finish off the rest of your email address. That was terribly tortured. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so my email is just my first initial last name. So it's J Brocker at biopharmalaw.com.
0: Yeah, and I mispronounced your name a few times in there too fix that right. clean it up with <laughs> johanna brocker of course well uh in a moment with joanna in the time that we have remaining we're going to play around good stuff where both joanna and i will recommend something good some good suggestion a tip of some place to go or some place to something to do during as we continue to try to survive these unprecedented times before we do good stuff just a real quick reminder of what we do here at pod 617 the boston podcast network would you like your own podcast well now is actually an opportune time to start one you're probably still at home and even if you're not You can produce a podcast from the comfort of your own home. We'll send you a microphone, one of the good ones, not one of those uh, crappy microphones, but a quality USB mic, so your podcast will sound fantastic. We can do the whole thing remotely, or you can join us in our Westwood studios, socially distanced and sanitized for your protection go to pod617.com to get started a podcast is a great way to connect with your network your clients people that you've maybe lost touch with during these times you invite them as a guest on your show we zoom them in and the whole show sounds great pod617.com the boston podcast network in pod we trust all right let's play a round of good stuff Oh, that's the good stuff feeling Joanna's suggestion for good stuff is going to be something that actually might get us outdoors even now in the cold. What are you gonna tell us about?
1: That's right. So my son is a really good skier and we're a big skiing family. So we love traveling to ski. And so there our only trip thus far during this whole coronavirus pandemic has been to Utah to go skiing at Deer Valley. Wow. We went in December. I'd love Deer Valley. I highly recommend the place. So if anyone wants to escape some of the East Coast weather and have some great snow and blue skies, I highly recommend Deer Valley.
0: Were you a little concerned about the whole airplane thing or what?
1: Not really. We traveled on Delta and Delta has done a really good job blocking the middle seats. So the only person I was always sitting with was one of my kids. Right. Um, So no, not really. Everyone wore masks. Everyone was sanitizing their hands and cleaning their seats. So no, how
0: how old is this son? The who's the,
1: he just turned 10 last week.
0: Wow. Okay. And you're telling me the boy has skills. We're thinking future Olympian maybe.
1: Oh, I don't know about that, but he won (laughs) a ski race yesterday, actually here in our little council area. And whenever we travel to deer Valley or one of those mountains out there, they have the NASTAR courses, which Mm -hmm. are just set up for anyone, adults, kids to race and they give you a handicap and they give you medals. And he loves doing them. He's gone to nationals for NASTAR before and has done pretty well. And now he belongs to a race team here in New York. So So he loves them.
0: Excellent. I was never much of a skier. I can barely make it down the mountain, but I, but, and then, you know what? I don't fall that often, but when I fall, I have a real hard time getting back up because I'm a klutz, but good on you. You got out there and there are plenty of ski resorts. One of the, the ski resorts is one of the things that remain open. It's one of the few things you can do in the winter. My God, it's, we're facing a boring several months ahead of us, people. Let's be uh, frank about it. But thank you for that one, uh, Joanna. My suggestion for good stuff will be a, a show on Netflix. Surprise, surprise, because I watch a lot of TV, but there's a show called uh, Lupin, L U P I N. Now, you have to be used, get used. You haven't seen this, have you, Joanna? I
1: have not,
0: no. Okay. So now, do you mind when you watch something with subtitles? Is that distracting? Would you rather not bother?
1: No, you're on. okay with the
0: subtitles. I actually don't mind it cuz it, it sort of forces you to pay attention to the thing. It does. And I I don't know about you. I keep I usually keep the subtitles on all the time anyway on my TV. I've just gotten used to it because with all the different streaming services, they all seem to come in at different volumes and stuff. And so I don't want to miss a line. Anyway, Lupin is I'm only in episode three. I think it's, it's five episodes all told. And if you like the sort of not so much thriller, but the heist movies, like if you liked oceans 11 and all the elaborate ways you like gadgets, Joanna, you're a Intellectual property lawyer. <laughs> so all the elaborate ways that that those guys broke into the bank. This guy is a sort of a modern day version of that. He's actually trying to track down a secret about how his father died in the process, but it involves a. This involves a jewel heist. I won't tell you why, but and uh, he is obsessed with this fictional gentleman's. What is it? Gentleman thief? Yeah, like the gentleman thief. Uh, this legendary figure. And I I don't think it's really a book, but anyways, the guy's name is Lupin. And so he goes by Lupin a lot of mystery and stuff. If you like a good heist movie story, et cetera, it's a five uh, episode limited season on Netflix. So there you go. So when you're not skiing, Joanna, if you need for, for the apres ski, if you need something good to watch, Oh, yes. All right. Well,
1: for the apres ski, I could also recommend a chocolate martini, which I have perfected during the quarantine period.
0: Oh, my God. Well, as I used to say in journalism, you buried the lead. Please, if you will, share us your recipe for uh, chocolate martini.
1: So it's really simple. It's just equal parts of vanilla vodka, chocolate liqueur, and creme de coco. And then you can drizzle some chocolate sauce in your martini glass before pouring it in. But it's delicious.
0: I could go for one right now. No, Dave, it's only 1030 in the morning. OK, I'll wait. I'll wait till later. But they, it does sound delicious. Well, Johanna Brocker, whose name I finally pronounced correctly on the 10th cry or something. You've been a good sport. I hope you had fun.
1: I did. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. And once again, buy her book. I'm excited to take a look at it and bio farm, is where you get in touch with joanna thank you for being here on the boston podcast if you like this podcast listeners please subscribe to us on apple podcasts and if you want your own podcast go to pod617.com to get started it's easy and it's fun on behalf of joanna and all the skiers out there my name is dave i'm just a guy from boston but if you're not from boston you must be the other guy enjoy the day everybody see ya